Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunrise. Welcome to Worship on this chilly, snowy, well, it's not snow anymore, but snow in the driveway morning. Um, welcome to you guys online as well. There may be a few more of you online as uh, the announcement of the furnace not working, but thanks to Dan Newcoop, the furnace is back up and running, and it's actually getting warmer in the sanctuary, so it's not 55 anymore. It's a balmy 60-something. Um, yeah, so anyway, thanks for joining us for worship this morning on this, on this day. Uh, we're going to start off with singing the Father's house, and I love one of the lines in this song. It comes in the second verse, you never wanted perfect, you just wanted my heart. Um, I just love that and the, the knowledge that we don't need to come, we don't need to have everything's perfect in our lives and um, everything is shiny and perfect, even though in West Michigan it feels like you need to be that way all the time, but... Um, we don't need to carry that guilt and shame around when we've messed up or, um, yeah, sinned or fallen short. But we can instead know that we can run to the Lord with those things. And um, He just wants our heart. He just wants all of us and not us to feel like we need to hide and run. So why don't we stand up, sing these words, and um, just get into worship this morning. Let's sing together. Story's just begun. Failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does. Failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does. Love is on the move when 
the fathers in the room. Prison doors fling wide, the dead come to life. Oh, love is on the move when the father's in the room. Miracles take place, the cynical fight fades. Oh, love is breaking through when the father's in the room. Oh 
this next words be our prayer this morning. Let's sing. Come awaken your people. Come awaken your people. Come awaken this city. Oh God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Every stronghold will crumble. I hear the chains hit the ground. God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Come awaken your people. Come awaken your city. Oh God of revival, pour it out. Just what you say. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I remain steadfast. 
let my heart learn when you speak a word it will come to pass is your faithfulness to me great is your faithfulness to me from the rising sun to the setting same i will praise your name great is your faithfulness to Though the earth may pass away, your word remains the same. Your history can prove there's nothing you can't do. You're faithful and true. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I remain steadfast. And then my heart, when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Just believe it this morning.
rising. From the rising sun to the setting, same I will praise your name. From the rising sun to the setting, same I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to God, you are faithful. I love the words we just sang over and over again. Many of us grew up singing, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. God, you are faithful through every generation. No matter what season we're in life right now, <clears throat> maybe at a difficult one, maybe at a joyful one, you are faithful. from the first song we sang there is no guilt no shame in your house we come as we are you love us as we are because you are a faithful God you don't change your love your forgiveness your mercy your grace is the same every morning in your hands, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can take a seat. Hey, good morning, Sunrise. Good morning. Wow, <laughs> you're awake. You must have had coffee. That's great. Hey, uh, my name is Byron, and uh, I'm glad to be here. Uh, every so often, they let me come up and talk a little bit to uh, get the service started. If you are new here in the room this morning, we'd like to connect with you. Or if you're connecting with us online through our Facebook stream, we'd like to connect there as well. If you're here, there's a QR code on the back of the uh, chairs, uh, and we have a connect table out in back. We have a gift for you. Please uh, take a minute to connect with us today. We'd really like that. So one of the benefits of being part of Sunrise, this is not an announcement, kind of is, is you could be in a small group if you so choose. And I am, my wife and Mary and I are in a small group. And today, one of our members asked for an excused absence because her team is in the playoffs, which is kind of cool. But then when I said, I'm saving my excused absence for when the Lions are in the Super Bowl, they all laughed. Oh, man. Anyway, so uh, we have a couple events coming up, which is why I'm up here. Um, one is that uh, next Wednesday night, we're going to have an evening of worship and prayer right here at church from 6.30 to 7.30. I don't know what that's like. You know, I'm going to try to attend if I can and uh, hope to see you here next Wednesday night, 6.30 to 7.30, right here in the main room. And then Noah... He's not going to let us down, and he's going to come through with Pub Theology Tuesday, February 8th. That's a couple of weeks, or it's a week from this coming Tuesday, maybe. So anyway, Pub Theology. It's a great time. Hope you'll come. It's at Hudsonville Grill. That's right. It was going to be the first, but we had to move it. So we 
Yeah, February 8th. Yeah, two weeks away, roughly. Yeah. See, Noah, you know, just wants me to succeed in life, and so he just stays after me. I'm not sure it's going to work. <laughs> anyway, hey, I'm glad you're here this morning, and I'm glad Dan's here. Uh, I just want to say, I, you know, Dan and Noah, the two Dans, did a great job pulling speakers in while our Dan number two was out, but uh, I'm glad he's back. So, thank you, Dan. So yes, to clarify, the slide up here said that pub theology is February 1st. The slide is incorrect. The verbal announcement is correct. So it will be on February 8th, Hudsonville Grill by Noah. I don't know if Dan number one will be there or not. I, don't, I think Dan number two will be there. Um, but anyway, uh, my name is Dan. Glad that you are here. Um, whether you're joining us in person or online, thank you for being here this morning. We've been talking over the last few weeks about generosity, and for some people, that's kind of scary, <clears throat> because in churches, if you grew up in them, the conversation often makes you feel like you're being bit to death by a duck. Give more money. Give more money. We need more money. Um, and that's not the heart of God in this conversation. That's not the heart of sunrise in this conversation. And so over the last couple of weeks, we talked about how it is that Moses talked to the people of God as they're out in the desert, wandering from where they have been to where they're going. They're They've been in Egypt, they're headed toward the promised land, this place to the west that they're waiting to discover, and in the middle of that, they have no place to call home, they have very few things to hold in their hand, and Moses stands in front of them and says, those of you who are willing should give what you have to God. And with not very deep pockets, they come together and they get enough money to support the temple that they needed to build and carry with them, and the spiritual leaders of their group. Again, this group of people who are stuck in this space, traveling between where they have been in Egypt, in bondage, and on their way to the promised land. We fast-forwarded a little bit to the story of Jesus standing in front of people as well, talking to them about how they should live, now being in a place where spiritually they are in a land between where they have been, where they have been in bondage spiritually, and they are on their way following him to this promised land, and his promise to them is that he will give them everything that they need if they'll follow him. And he talks about things like food and clothing, and we in the Western world can get distracted by that and think, well, as long as I'm living the right way and pleasing God the right way, then I'll not have to shop at Goodwill. Or I'll be able to send my kids to school and we'll be able to pay this much of their tuition. And if I don't live rightly between there and here, then there's something wrong with me. And so last week, we tried to deconstruct that a little bit and help us realize that that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying the world around you, the economy around you, the way people work around you is to leave this place where you have been and to walk through life saying, look at me and look what I am achieving and I will accumulate what I can for myself. Everyone look at what I'm doing. And Jesus says it's good for you to want to be loved, to be acknowledged, to be celebrated, but it is wrong for you to do it the wrong way. And to have the respect of the people around you is not what's most important, so don't worry about those things. Instead, and then he talks about prayer. When you pray, do it quietly. When you give, don't do it like this. Do it so that your right hand doesn't even know what your left hand is doing. 
Don't give the people around you the opportunity to celebrate what you are doing because that's not what matters most. And if you will commit to living in that way, Jesus says you will see that as you walk spiritually from where you have been in bondage, you will find a freedom focusing on me, continually moving toward the promised land. And so this morning, we're going to continue the conversation. This time, we're going to talk about what it looks like to give when you're poor. So if you're in college or you're a young family or you've bumped from full-time to part-time, or you've had a relationship that's broken up, pay attention. This is for you. So in Mark chapter 12, we find these words. Mark is a follower of Jesus who decided to write down the things that he became convinced of so that he was a follower of Jesus because he found them to be helpful for us as we try to follow Jesus as well. So he writes these words. Jesus sat down in the opposite place where the offerings were being put, and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. That'd be noticeable, right? You get Jesus comes in. He's a people watcher. He's sitting with his disciples. People are walking into the temple, and they watch people giving their money. And they notice somehow that there are people who are giving lots of money. Those are the important people, right? Every church wants those people. We talk about this in seminary. No, I'm kidding. Um, every, every church wants those people, right? You want people who give lots of money. Those are the people you want to be your friends, to the point where churches will make decisions about what they will do in their mission and their vision based on those deep pockets. So even today, we notice those large gifts. Jesus does too with his disciples. And so a question becomes for those of us who are reading this, what are the words that Jesus is going to use to describe this situation? Because if it were you or me, or an honest pastor, they would say, Delicious. Please, Jesus, tell us how to recruit those people. But we read on, and Jesus' focus turns to a poor woman. Mark tells us about this. A poor woman came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Yeah, okay, keep, keep moving, Jesus. Let's go. The words that are written in this library that we call the Bible are not put there by accident. They aren't even necessarily always put there to tell us what it is that historically happened. But they are always put there to help us understand best who God is and who we are in relationship to Him. And so even a small story like this about a poor person, a college student who doesn't know how they're going to pay their loans when they're done with school, or a poor single mother who has been left by a husband because of an illness, or whatever it is, a story that is worth less than pennies becomes important to us. So we'll look at it this morning. This here is a layout of the temple. I think you guys can, is, is that pretty legible for you guys? Yeah. Great. All right, so uh, this is how it is arranged like geographically on the map. What you're looking at is the temple. And so when I say it's, it lays out how it is on the map, the north is up, east is to the right, west is to the left, south is down. Now this is very important, okay? The temple itself is supposed to embody the movement from where the people of God have been in Egypt toward the promised land. Now I've been moving from here over to here to help show you progress because if I move in this direction, from your perspective, it's regression, right? This is backward. But in the 
map, if you were to look at it, it is the positive movement of God's people to move from the east to the west. Because when Moses led his people out of Egypt, he led them from bondage in the east to the west. And so every temple is set up in this way. So the people of God, anyone who wanted to find out what it was like to follow God in the direction of the promised land to experience everything that he could offer, well, they could enter in the Gentile courts. That's the black square around the temple. Anybody could walk in there. And then as you walked in through either the beautiful gate there on the far right or any one of the gates there in the court of the women on the right-hand side, let me see if I can draw on this guy real quick. This would be a lot easier. This is so cool. If this works, this is so cool. So over here. Yeah! Yes. Thank you, technology. Anyway, um, this is the area where most people could come. The only requirement was that you weren't a Gentile or that you were a Gentile who had become uh, Jewish in some way. Anybody could enter this area. It was called the Court of Women, but that was the furthest women could go because any movement further toward the West was reserved for those who were the most clean, the most loyal, the most worthy. Now, Jesus comes along and he kicks that idea to the curb and he says everybody's worthy to get there, but in this time and space, the leaders of the church were brilliant because they decided that this would be a really great place to put the offering buckets. I love these people. So anybody who walked into the temple would walk through the court of the women, unless they decided to go through the gate of kindling, gate of firstlings, water gate, all those here on the far left side. Anybody who was in any way able to approach the temple, if they weren't qualified to enter there from the west, would enter from the east, and they'd go through the court of the women. Anybody could walk in there. It didn't matter what they had done. It didn't matter what they had planned to do in the future, what their socioeconomic status was. And doggone it, those church leaders were smart. They decided we're going to put the offering buckets right there where those yellow circles are. So right on your way in, go ahead and give us your money. Now, you can interpret that however you want to. I do not think that that was a money grab. Some people could look at that and say, well, yeah, they just wanted to make sure that they could get any penny that they could from the people who were there. I tend to think, and good people can disagree, but good people can be wrong too. <laughs> that this was done so that anyone could participate in the way in which God was calling his people to live. You have the chamber of the Nazarites there in the bottom right corner, the chamber of oil in the bottom left, chamber of leopards in the top left, chamber of wood in the top right. These were spaces that were very important to the community, not just the spiritual community, but to the community outside of the spiritual community itself. This was a little bit like a social services center. It would have been here in the court of women that Jesus and other babies would have been brought before the people of God and dedicated and declared to be a gift from God to his people right here in the court of women. It was in this space that Judas would have exchanged pieces of silver to give up Jesus. There was all kinds of stuff that happened in this space. This is the space of socioeconomic activity, the place where Jesus would have flipped the tables because people were turning a house of prayer into a church of economy. 
And so there's a lot that goes on here, both good and bad, and it makes sense for Jesus, who is trying to get his people to live generous lives as they move from where they have been spiritually to where they are heading spiritually, to stop and take the time and intentionally sit so that he can watch these offering buckets with his people. And so as they're sitting there, they can hear the coins being dropped into these wooden boxes that had a golden trumpet kind of funnel that would take all of the money and deposit it into this depository where it was safely kept for the priests of the temple to come and gather that. Have any of you gone to one of those coin star machines where you can dump in coins and it counts it all up for you? Doesn't it feel really good when you take like three quarters and dump it in there and it like tells you you have 75 cents? Isn't that really satisfying? No, it's great when you take like this huge bucket of coins and you dump it in there and it makes enough noise for everyone to hear it and you have no idea how much is going to be there and it, as it goes through that metaphorical, metaphorical wooden box down the golden trumpet and gives you your receipt, you can leave with a bunch of money, right? That's when you want to go take your coins in. How many of you, after you finish your nice, cold, frothy Coca-Cola in your can, immediately think, I'm going to go to Family Fair and turn this into 10 cents. No, you wait till there's enough there, right? Big garbage bags full of cans, bottles of your own choosing that you can turn into money. It's when we have enough that we then want to take it and present it and get for ourselves something that we want for ourselves. And that is exactly what it is these people who are giving lots of money are doing according to this story as Jesus tells it. These people are bringing lots of money. They are giving from their riches, Jesus says. But a poor woman came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. I don't know what you picture when you think of a very poor woman. Maybe you think of an older woman, a woman like this carrying a small child. Maybe this is a woman who is poor because she's a victim of something. We don't know. Maybe her husband has died. Maybe she's young, a young mother who has been treated terribly by the people around her, and she has the guts to show up in church. Who knows what the story is? But all she can bring with her is these two little coins. These are called lepta. In the economy of that day, these are the smallest coins you could have. They were so careful in how they put them together, they had split sides. You don't tip with this. This would be the equivalent. This would be better than tipping today with one of those fake $100 bill tracks at a restaurant. Also, never do that. That's awful. But this would be like a step above that. To order food and leave this as a tip would feel to the server like a, I basically just paid you to eat here. And this woman, from the perspective of the people who wanted her to be a high-dollar giver, is simply coming with a disappointing amount of money, and she might as well not even come. Just keep it. And yet she gives that money in a way, and this is not accidental that Mark says this. This is not an accidental story. He, this woman comes and gives this money in a way that Jesus sees it. He sees 
what is given when it is barely anything, just as much as he sees the people who are giving so much that the coin star machine is going nuts as the money goes from the box to the depository. He sees it all. Jesus doesn't ask his disciples, hey, why don't you pay attention with me with, to all of these people who are giving lots of money because you know as well as I do, we don't really have a place to lay our heads. We've got to establish ourselves some way. We need to have a building where we can come together and praise our God together. I really need some better sandals. And Judas, if we're going to keep you happy, we're going to have to line your pockets a little bit. No. It's a passing observation that Mark makes, that there are people who are putting lots of money into the boxes. So Jesus just has these simple words. And I'm not even going to say much more than what's up here on the screen from here on out. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. Which we know just simply isn't true. Two lepta, that's nothing. We suddenly know that Jesus is not talking about the amount of money that she has put in being more than the amount of money that other people have put in. He's talking about something dramatically different, and he goes on to explain that those people who put in a lot of money gave out of their wealth. They gave out of their wealth. They looked through their budgets. They got everything set up the way that it needed to be. And there's a surplus there. You know what? I'm going to take a pretty good slice of that, and I'm going to take it to church. And I know that I could give it in a way that's quiet, or what I could do is I could go to the coin star machine, turn it into coins, and drop it in the box so everybody can hear it. So that people see me as I'm walking my own life from where I've been to where I'm going and pay attention to me. They're giving based on their wealth, what they have done themselves to secure for themselves a hope and a future that aligns with the expectations of this world. Jesus makes a passing comment about that. He simply says what is true. Then he tells us about the woman, but she, she gave out of her poverty this is not a woman who has a 401k and an HSA and all of the other initial things that you can have. This is probably not even a woman who's living paycheck to paycheck. She's probably coming to the temple often throughout the week to receive gifts from the people of God who have said, here is what I can give in the court of women to help serve the people in this community. And yet she comes and she gives even though she has basically nothing. Jesus amplifies that comment saying, she put in everything. Everything that was extra. She took everything out of her daughter's piggy bank. She picked up all the coins she could on the way to the temple and put that into the box. No, 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 no. She put in all that she had to live on. What in the world drives someone to do that? 
How many of you came this morning thinking, okay, this year I'm going to make this much money, and I'm going to put all of that in the offering plate? If you do that, let us know. We'll write you a thank you note. Who does that? It does not make sense for someone to live a life where they give out of their poverty, where they give what it is they have saved to live their lives well. And this is where we realize, if we haven't been able to pay enough attention yet to understand, that Jesus is talking about way more than money and way more than the amount of money that you give. And so if we were to say this as succinctly as possible, what I think it is Jesus is saying is that it is the sound of your heart, not the sound of your offering, that matters. It is the sound of your heart, not the sound of your offering, that matters. How do you feel about that? For those of us who can't give much, and on a Sunday morning, instead of being able to be in a nice warming up room to be able to give a certain amount of money, find ourselves up on the roof, literally this morning, working with your hands in the bitter cold to make the heater work, you probably feel like, good, what I'm giving is enough. If you're someone who is thinking, I have set up my account so that the money can come out of my account electronically and be given to these organizations, including the church, without me even knowing it, maybe there's a little bit of an ouch there. I think Jesus is talking to his people with one mouth in two different directions, and here's what I mean. Those of you who find yourselves dependent on the church or other social services are not ever required by Jesus to be giving as much money as anyone else. And there should be no shame in the level of need that you have. Jesus doesn't tell us any more about this woman's story than that she is poor and she is bringing what she can give to the church. There's no conversation about where she is from. Is she a legal resident? There's no conversation about how much effort she puts in at work or whether she is employed or why she may not be employed. We have no idea about her moral standing with Jesus or with her community. We simply know that she does not have much to give. Maybe you're in college. Maybe you wrecked your life because you've been addicted to gambling and you have hardly any money left at all. You owe people all kinds of money. Maybe you don't have money because people defrauded you. What Jesus is saying in this story is it does not matter what your story has been. What matters is the sound of your heart when you give. This woman's heart is a heart of trust. It's a heart of trust because she's giving out of her poverty. She's giving what it is she actually needs to live on. This is not me or Mark or Jesus saying to all of us that we need to give to the point of becoming poor. That is not what is happening here in this story. 
Let's shift here for a moment to the people who are giving lots of money. Because like I said, I think Jesus is speaking with one mouth in two directions. We talked about this direction toward folks who don't have much money. Now let's talk in this direction toward the folks who have a lot of money and who give a lot of money to the church. Or to help other people. It feels really good to give in a way that people recognize, right? I mean, you worked hard for your money. You invested your money well, and if you're going to give it somewhere, you at least want to be able to get a tax write-off, and it'd be nice to get a note of thanks from the people you gave it to, right? I mean, that's just common courtesy. If you don't do that today in a church, as a church leader, you could lose that giver. It's one of the top things people talk about in church staff meetings when they're talking about budget. Who are our big givers, and are we acknowledging them? Jesus doesn't say to his disciples, when you are a rabbi and you have people who are giving money, listen for the big givers. He doesn't say that. He says there's more to life than this. The people who give a lot of money, some of them are giving with a beautiful heart. Because again, it's not the amount of money that is given, it's your heart. So I know of folks who have decided that in their giving, they give a certain amount of money. It doesn't matter. And every week, they will write a check or they'll bring cash or whatever it is, and they will give every week. And then there are other folks who have decided, you know what, it's more convenient if I am able to set up my bank so that it will automatically move the money from my bank to this account or these accounts. Both of those decisions are fine decisions to make. Here's what I want us to consider, and I don't know this answer, you do, and you only know this answer for yourself and for no one else. Why do you give in those ways? Some people will come and they'll write a check or they'll give cash because they want people to see that act of putting the money in the bucket or the plate as it goes by. Some people will do it that way because in their hearts they want to feel the activity of giving what they have in faith and confidence to Jesus every week as they put that in the bucket. Which of those, just answer this silently in your mind, which of those ways of giving do you think Jesus is asking for as we move spiritually from where we have been to where we are going? There are folks who, like I said, will give electronically. They'll have their bank account set up so that it automatically sends money over so they don't have to think about it. For some people, it's because if I don't do it that way, I'm going to forget. That is me. I have a terrible memory. Then there are other people who would do it because I'll just set it up. I've got to give to the church. I'll make sure I'm giving it, and then I don't have to think about it anymore. Which of those do you think Jesus is after if he was in this room talking to us about being generous? And that our giving isn't about the sound of our offering, but the sound of our hearts. So speaking boldly to those of you who give a lot, I want to ask you this question. Do you give out of your wealth? Or do you give out of your poverty? Have you gotten so used to giving the amount of money that you give that for you, it's just 
like another account. I have this much money for Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts is clearly the better choice than Starbucks. I have this much money set up for Christmas gifts. I have this much money set up to give, and it just happens, and I don't even have to think about it. I can rest at ease knowing that I have taken care of everything. I want to suggest to you that that kind of approach to giving, whether it's money or time or anything else, brings with it a heart that's pretty quiet, probably. Or a heart that gives out of compulsion. If you're giving electronically, I'm not trying to suggest that you should not be. My only hope in this whole conversation is to get us to wrestle with what it is Jesus is teaching his people like he tries to get his disciples to do as they sat in the temple that day. If it is about our hearts, take the time to look at what you are giving electronically and ask yourself the question, am I giving with a heart that sounds like it is dependent on God and thankful for what it is he has done and is doing, or am I giving with a heart that sounds like I've done this, I am sustaining myself, now I can give. If we are giving an amount of money where to us the sound in our hearts is muted or sound of confidence, I can do this now because I've made myself then it might be a good pause for us to stop and rethink and ask ourselves, is that generosity? For those of us who are on this other side of the spectrum, who identify more with this woman who's giving very little, I want you to know what this text says very clearly. God sees that. And he celebrates that. And in this story, he makes it an example to show other people how to live. But the point of the story is not simply give a whole bunch of money to give a huge percentage of what it is that you make. If that's the story that we should be looking at, then the story of the woman who is giving out of her poverty is just as good and just as bad as the person who is giving out of their wealth. No, 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 no. It's not about percentages. It is not about how much money you give. It is instead about the sound of your heart. There is an invisible silence. You will never hear it sound happening in our hearts as we give, and Jesus hears it. And it doesn't matter what sound or motion that you make as you give whatever it is that you give, but it is the sound of your heart that cries out like we already sang this morning, that it is God who moves mountains. It is not my extra overtime checks. It is not my having enough money in my account to make my life good that actually sustains me, but it is the God of heaven who has made this world, who puts breath in my lungs, who sustained me when I was here, who is sustaining me as I walk through life and will sustain me as I arrive here with him forever. And so as Jesus sits with his disciples in the temple and views what is happening and talks with his disciples about it, 
not an accident. Mark doesn't write this down accidentally. Oh, it's journal time. I need to sit down and tell these people who are going to read what I've written some kind of story. I'll tell them this one. No. This is just as important as the words that we read that Jesus came to give his life for us. This is just as important as the story that we read that reminds us that God loves us no matter what. This is just as important as the invitation for us to love our spouses well and to raise our kids to know and love Jesus. This is not a secondary or tertiary point of importance to talk about money. This is extremely important. So I have a couple questions I want to ask you as we land this plane. One more time, the summary statement here that I think is applicable is it's the sound of your heart, not the sound of your offering that matters. Question. Do you give safely? Do you give in a way that you're giving out of your wealth? I don't have to think about it. Yep, we'll write the check. It's what we always do. No big deal. I can't answer that question for you. That is not my job. No one else can answer that question for you except for you. And if you're married, you should probably talk to your spouse too or your significant other. But do you give safely? This has absolutely nothing to do with how much money you have. Do you give safely? Number two, do you give faithfully? Jesus never talks about how often you give, so when I bring up the word faithfully here, I'm not asking, do you give every week? I'm not asking, do you give every time you show up? I'm asking, do you give with a heart that sounds like faith? Are you giving from the perspective of this world that says, this is a place of scarcity, and so we have to grab everything we can along the way, and I will give out of what it is I've been able to get my hands on? Or do we live and move and breathe in this world from the perspective of abundance? We serve a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything in the world belongs to him. It's not up to us to grab and to hold on to anything and everything that we can in our lives. It is our job to follow the one who already has his hands on anything and everything in this world. And to trust that as we move from where we have been to where we are going, that he will provide. And so in that way, I mean the question, do you give faithfully? God, we, <laughs> we realize that as you ask us to follow you, you ask us to do things that sometimes we have to really wrestle with to understand. It can feel like, at first glance, that what you're asking us to do is to give a lot of money. But then it sounds like you're saying, nope, it's not about giving a lot of money, it's about giving a little bit of money. But then it sounds like percentages, and it feels sometimes in all of this that it's hard to actually hear your voice, but it seems that you're saying clearly in this story that it's all about our hearts. And so that opens up all kinds of questions that we have to bring to you. And so, Dan, if you'll go ahead and play a little bit of music. I, I'm asking to play a little bit of music, not to pull on your emotional strings, but because I'm going to ask for you guys to just think for a minute, and it's kind of awkward to do that when it's silent. But I want you to ask yourself the two questions that we asked there at the end. Do you give safely and do you give faithfully? Just consider those for a minute.
I also want to be really upfront with you guys. We do have financial needs in the church. <laughs> every church does. Every church right now, generally speaking, not every, most churches are in a spot where they're not hitting budgets, where more money needs to come in. We're in that spot. I am not bringing up this conversation because of that. We know that sunrise, that we serve the God of heaven who owns all things and that he provides. But I don't want to have this conversation with you and you guys find out from some other means <laughs> that, wait a minute, we're behind budget a little bit? Yeah, we are. But I will never come to you and say, we are behind budget, open up your wallets and you better give. Because <laughs> that messes up everybody's hearts. This is a personal, this is an important topic. And God, we take the time to silently reflect about it here to discuss these things because we think that you have invited us to do that so that we can live our lives more richly following you from where we have been to where we're going. There's something in that journey that can be beautiful. And we're compelled to believe that it's most beautiful when we follow you. So help us to understand this well, to live our lives well, so that as you see our hearts, we become an example of people who you notice and who you ask other people to follow. Transform us with your grace and with your love. Amen.
Let's go back and sing that bridge one more time. I like it. There is no greater call than giving you my all. I lay it all down. I lay it all down. There is no greater love than giving name above. I lay it all down. I lay it all down. There is no greater call than giving you my all. I lay it all down. I lay it all down. There is no greater love, no higher name above. I lay it all down. I lay it all down. What generosity looks like. And everything we have is God's, and we'll do with it what we need to to serve Him and the people around us. It's His name above all. He is the one who is guiding us best from where we have been to where we are going. So that is the cry of our hearts. Together is that we would be a people who are generous with our giving, with our hearts, with our lives, with our schedules, and yes, with our money too. Thank you for being with us this morning for this conversation, whether it's been online or in the room. I do need to make one announcement to you. If you guys want to grab a seat, and is Penny here? She's back. Is, is Penny around? Penny, I don't know if you can hear me. If you can, will you come here? Okay. Um, Penny has been on staff here now for how long? Dan, do you know? Seven and a half, seven years. Seven years. That's pretty good. Uh, she has let us know recently that after investing this amount of time here at Sunrise, that it's time for her to transition out, that uh, she is pursuing something else. And so we wanted to make you aware that next Sunday will be her last Sunday with us. She's done a lot. She's spent a lot of time with our kids, my own included. For the last three years, she's been helping Sam and Addison feel like they're normal and to help us not kill them. And for that, we are grateful. Um, she's invested time in your kids, uh, maybe in you as volunteers. And so I don't know if she'll make it up here before I'm done talking. If she doesn't, that's okay. But would you, if you have the time and the opportunity, just find her and thank her for her investment here at Sunrise. Wish her well on whatever it is that's next for her. We don't know what that is. I'm not sure if she knows right now what that is. And that's okay. Uh, we will need your help, though, as we move forward with Children's Ministries. Children's Ministries is an important part of who we are. And so we'll be getting together with several of you to help give us helpful feedback so that we can continue to build on a good foundation of what has been here at Sunrise. You may get a phone call or an email from me or someone in the office asking you for help. Our hope is that you would be generous in considering an opportunity to help us improve Children's Ministries even more than what it has been. She's not yet in here, and that's okay. We'll go ahead and end our service again. Find her on your way out. Shake her hand. Give her a hug. Whatever it is that you're comfortable doing, wave from a distance if you need to. Uh, but let her know that you appreciate the investment that she's made here. Guys, we love you. We pray that as our lives continue to be transformed by God's love and grace, that he would use us to transform the world around us with his love and with his grace. We love you guys. We'll see you next Sunday. <laughs>